It's already Thursday, the week is moving, the week is churning, and you might think it's a slow week, but it is never slow on our end when you're listening to the Strictly Stripes podcast. Welcome into another off-season free agency slash draft slash whatever you want to make of it edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad and Andrew Gillis bringing you all the goodies for the week. We pretty much, I know we wrapped up free agency as far as grading the Bengals. How did they do? What needs to change? But I want to change things up a little bit. I mentioned this yesterday for those listening in, but rather than um, completely just looking ahead to the draft, before we get to that, and we'll talk more about that to wrap up this week and next week, I want to cross-examine how the Bengals have done in free agency compared to their rivals in the AFC North. So, of course, the Browns, the Ravens, and the Steelers. And later, Mary Kay Cabot, our Browns insider, is going to join me later to give her take on where the Browns fit within the uh, AFC North free agency uh, sweepstakes, if you want to call it that. But um, really, I think what I want to do here, Andrew, is I wanted to kind of rank the best and worst teams in terms of who did well in free agency from the North, from top to bottom. And then I wanted you to kind of tell me who do you think was the best, who were the next two that were the best, and who was the worst uh, out of the four teams. And then I think there's going to be some interesting discussion to be had. So I think um, just jumping into it, do you want to make your list first, or do you want me to go first? You can go first. I want to hear what you have to say because I'm, I'm, I'm oh, okay. still debating it in my mind. Okay. All right. And honestly, I actually changed mine up right before we got on this podcast. So I was kind of thinking about it too, but I think I'm going to start from top to bottom. I think number one, I'm going to go with the Browns. I think they honestly have done the best out of their divisional rivals. I do put the Bengals at number two. I put Pittsburgh at number three. And I put Baltimore at number four. Before I let you read yours off, Andrew, just to kind of give my reasoning, where I was torn was who's first, the Bengals or the Browns. Because obviously, you know, you can't talk about the Bengals without talking about Orlando Brown. I mean, PFF, if you look at how they graded um, that signing, they gave the Bengals like an A+. Not an A, an A+. So they obviously saw how big of a deal that was. Um, you know, with Nick Scott, I mean, that filled an immediate need with Jesse Bates and Von Bell leaving. I think re-signing Jermaine Pratt, as much as it was a shocking move, it was one of the best moves they could make. But the thing is, the Browns, what, what kind of gave me the edge, like what gave me the, the feeling that they had the edge was they brought in more guys from the outside. Dalvin Tomlinson, uh, Ogbo, Okwenokwo, you know, Juan Thornhill, who I was really high on uh, before the Browns landed him. I thought he'd be in Cincinnati. They just trade for Elijah Moore. You know, like they basically not only revamped their whole defense with Jim Schwartz coming in, but... You know, they're giving Deshaun Watson new weapons to work with besides, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Amari Cooper. You know, they re-sign their starting center, Ethan Pochich. They bring uh, – well, I guess they not bring in, but they, they bring back uh, Sione Takitaki, who I think is an underrated linebacker. And really, all of that outweighs their losses. Ultimately, I think um, the Browns' net loss is lower than the Bengals' net loss. I still think Von Bell and Jesse Bates is a big hole. It's a lot of shoes to fill, even for Dax Hill and Nick Scott, like we talked about. We don't even know what's going to happen at tight end um, because, again, Hayden Hurst is gone. We don't know what's going to happen with Mitch Wilcox and Drew Sample. And even if you bring – like somehow you bring both of them back, you don't know what's going to happen in Hurst's shoes. Who are you going to draft? Like how good is that player going to be? So there's still kind of an uncertainty that ranks over that. Um, I obviously put the Steelers after those two because 
Um, they th- they lost some pretty big names too, like Cam Sutton, Robert Spillane, Devin Bush, but they kept Larry Ogunjobi. They added uh, Patrick Peterson, who's a future Hall of Famer. Isaac Samulo just played in the Super Bowl with the Eagles. I think he's a good offensive line and piece. And then the Ravens, well, when you have Rashad Bateman and Lamar Jackson in their situation, and the fact that they've basically brought back almost no one, it's a pretty easy one for me. Andrew, take a bow. Where do you want to go with this? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I mean, this might not make for, for an interesting podcast fodder, uh, but I, I think I have to agree. I think the Browns had had the best kind of offseason in the AFC North. Um, you, you you mentioned it, you know, the their, their kind of losses. I mean, I understand. I think, you know, you can, you can kind of make the argument for the Bengals that, okay, well, you knew Jesse Bates was leaving. Uh, you know, you had Dax Hill kind of waiting in the wings, um, you know, and, and I think that that, that matters. But again, uh, you still did lose Jesse Bates. You know, you still did lose Von Bell. Um, you, I, I think you can kind of point to some other, some other problems um, along the offensive line. Uh, you know, w- what's going on with Jonah Williams, um, you know, Orlando Brown signing was, was really nice, but you know, with the, with the Browns, I, I think it was pretty clear going into this off season that they needed defensive help. Um, you know, they added two defensive linemen. Uh, you get Juan Thornhill on the back end. Then you trade for Elijah Moore, who I think kind of got a raw deal in uh, in New York. You know, I agree. I think that, uh, you know, when, when I, I remember it was, um, you know, A.J. Brown. And, and I think it was A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf, I think we're talking about, you know, the most talented receiver they played with. And they said it was, you know, one of them said it was Elijah Moore. You know, yeah. they're, they're really high on him as a player. Um, I think he's a really, really good number two for the Browns who, and, and frankly, you kind of look at the receivers right now and say, okay, well, I think you can work with that. If uh, you know, if Deshaun Watson's able to become Deshaun Watson, the player again, you know, kind of what he was in Houston, then I think you're cooking with some gas down there. Um, or I guess up there technically, uh, yeah. they, they still have eight picks in the draft, which is, which is, which is nice for them. Um, you know, they're not obviously in the first two rounds, uh, but when you're talking about two thirds, two fourths, two fifths, um, I think uh, I think you can add some some quality depth there. Uh, and and yeah, I, you know, I think that those are those are pretty clearly the top two. Um, the Steelers are, are, are third, you know, just almost by default. Uh, them and the Ravens are third and fourth. Um, you know, the Steelers lose Cam Sutton. You replace him with Patrick Peterson. You lose Devin Bush, and Robert Spillane. Cole Holcomb comes in. Um, yep. Obviously, that's. Uh, you know that you know you can't really make a, a lot of sweeping judgments. I don't think one way or another. I'm not sure that you know you can be head over heels or overly negative about that off season. Um, you know, and, and then you know the Ravens. I mean, a lot of kind of what's going on right now is related to uh, uh, is related to Lamar. Uh, you you just don't know what's going on there. Um, you know, and I think they're kind of waiting to see if anybody's going to try and pull that uh, that franchise offer or I guess the, the offer sheet, um, you know, cause if, if somebody's going to offer sheet him, I mean, you're talking 30 plus million dollars. If, if you're going to take that 30 plus million dollars and two first round picks, then you can do some stuff. Um, you, you would need a quarterback. You would need, you know, they, they need receiver help. You know, you've kind of seen them bow out of the Deandre Hopkins uh, negotiations, uh, at least reportedly because they don't have the money. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty fair to say that the Ravens have had, you know, the worst off season and, uh, I guess it, it depends on what's what you believe is going on or what's, what's actually going on, whether you believe it's their fault or, or what, uh, you know, because th- their hands have kind of been tied throughout this whole process. If, uh, 
you know, if Lamar is, if Lamar is pushing for something, if you believe it's Lamar's fault or the Ravens fault or whatever it is, um, whoever's the party at fault or most at fault for not getting that deal done. Um, that's kind of been the issue. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, you know, there's debate at one and two, uh, but yeah, I, I say Cleveland just because I think their losses were, uh, you know, were less impactful than what the Bengals lost. That's what it really came down to. Yeah, I mean, the net loss was lower. I mean, I mean, actually, maybe not even was a net loss. It was just kind of like, you know, I don't want to say there was no net change, but if there was a net change, it was more in the positive. The Bengals had a positive net change, but like you're still between that negative to like zero mark. I know I'm probably bringing you back to like pre-algebra, algebra, mathematics. But the point is, like you said, there was just not as much of a drop-off for Cleveland and Cincinnati, and the gains that they had were pretty big. And it's funny because, like, I'm, I'm thinking about Juan Thornhill. Like, I, I honestly thought that's the guy the Bengals were going to get before they landed on Nick Scott. But this is actually kind of funny. I don't know if you realize this. Like, you're going to laugh when I say this if you don't know. But I actually think I know why Juan Thornhill didn't want to go to the Bengals. Do you want to hear what my theory is? Let's hear the theory. Did you – I don't know how often you're on, like, Instagram or social media. I – whether I'm – you know, whether I'm a good or bad person for this is debatable, but I like live on social media, especially Twitter. Um, but I saw this on Instagram not long ago. Apparently, after the Chiefs won the AFC championship, um, Juan Thornhill, I think it was Willie Gay and Justin Reed. Um, and of course, Willie Gay and Justin Reed have no shortage of trash talking the Bengals. Like, that's what they did in the AFC championship week and leading up to that. Juan Thornhill was saying, Eli Apple, I'm going to light this one up for you. And then he specifically said, Joey B. I'm going to light this up for you because this is Burrowhead, sarcastically speaking. So I said to myself, I don't think he's going to play with a team where he doesn't like Eli Apple. Like, I think he genuinely doesn't like the guy, not just from a trash talk standpoint. And I mean, if you're not like a fan of Joey B, how are you going to be a fan of playing with him? Do you actually think that might have been like one of the big reasons why he didn't go to Cincinnati? Like, do you think maybe there was an interest and he was like, no. I don't like you guys and I'm going to go play for your rivals instead. Cause I like you guys even less more because of that. No. Um, have you ever watched Seinfeld Muhammad? I have not, but my dad is a big fan of that show. So there's a, there's a line uh, in one of those at the, at the beginning where Jerry's doing his, his comedy sketch, um, you know, where he talks about uh, rooting for laundry uh, from a different city. Uh, in terms of sports, you know, he's like, you're rooting for clothes, you know, when you get right down to it, you're standing and cheering and yelling for your clothes to beat the clothes from another city. Um, that's kind of the way that I would look at that. And I think, uh, you know, that you can, there's a lot of cases throughout, uh, throughout sports where, you know, hey, that, that guy pisses you off in another team's colors. But the second he's on your side, you're like, hey, he's actually not that bad of a guy. Or the second you spend time in the locker room with him, you're like, ah, I kind of like him. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't I'm not sure how much that matters that, uh, you know, again, because you might if you're on the Chiefs, you know, Orlando Brown didn't seem to mind the Burrowhead stuff. And he mentioned that, you know, that was kind of a big talking point if, uh, you know, if it might piss you off when you're in another city. But, you know, all of a sudden you come here, you're like, you know what? I kind of like that confidence. Yeah, well, no, I mean, that makes sense. But, like, the Eli Apple thing is kind of where I was like, I mean, you know, Eli's a corner, Juan's a safety. So they're going to spend a lot of time together. And I was like, do they want to spend a lot of time together? I, I don't know. I, I mean, because obviously, you know, Eli Apple's burned a lot of bridges, if we haven't said this already. Um, shocker. But 
I don't know. I just thought that was so interesting because, like, yeah, with me, with Orlando Brown, he was like, yeah, it never really bothered me. But I think it genuinely didn't bother him. Like, he always said, yeah, that's a team that's on the cusp. That's a team that was always close. I mean, I don't know. The way Juan Thornhill spoke, he was just kind of like, I don't care for the Bengals at all. Like, I think he really just doesn't care for them. And, and, and I feel like adding to my theory is that he went to their biggest rivals in state. Like, I'm not saying, oh, he went to the Browns just for the sake of pissing off Joe Burrow and Eli Apple because we don't even know if Eli Apple is going to be in Cincinnati next year. But, I mean, there, there, there's possibly, you know, like they say, there's a devil in the details, and maybe that's that. I don't know. I just like to have fun with this stuff because, I don't know, I just do. I really couldn't explain it to you. But um, I think kind of the last question I want to ask before we get into uh, our conversation with Mary Kay Cabot is if the Bengals – do anything at tight end before the draft. I mean, I know we're pretty much what at this point, we're almost 10 days in the free agency. If you include the tampering period, a legal tampering period. I mean, do you really think like the Bengals would make a move? And if they do, like, is that enough to, to kind of put them on par with Cleveland? Or do you still think like the bell and Bates losses are pretty bad? Even if you try to do something with Hayden Hurst's role. Yeah, you know, I I, I kind of mentioned this on a on a previous pod, like you know, you know, you, losing those guys still hurts, and and it still matters for sure. Um, you know, so I I don't know, I I, I just don't see a, a major move that they can make that's that's out there right now. Fair enough. Well, stay with us because when we come back, there's one big name in free agency who might be a likely or unlikely fit for the Bengals. We'll tell you who that is. Plus, Mary Kay Cabot joins us to talk about her AFC North free agency grades and many more things to come right here on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Hey there, it's Muhammad Ahmad from the Strictly Stripes podcast. And if you still don't know what Cincinnati Football Insider is, Listen up. It's a community of fans who want the inside scoop on the Bengals and a direct connection to the podcast and the reporters who cover the team. Here's how it works. Andrew, Mike, and I will text your phone a few times a day with breaking news, analysis, and our insights on the Bengals. And it's the inside scoop on what we're hearing. And we're giving you the inside word before it even hits social media. If you join Cincinnati Football Insider, you get to participate on the podcast and you can text us directly. It's a great way to cut through the clutter of social media for just $4.99 a month. Still not sure? Just try it for two weeks, and if you don't like it, you can text the word STOP at any time, but you won't want to cancel once you join the community of hardcore Bengals fans. So here's how you get on board. Text 513-940-4193 or go to cleveland.com slash Bengals and click on the blue banner at the top of the page. It's a great time to join as we're covering the NFL Draft, OTAs, mini camps and much more to come later this year so give us a try for two weeks and see what you think just text again the number 513-940-4193 and thanks for staying with us on the strictly stripes podcast joining me is my special guest who i haven't had on in quite some time but that would be my good friend and browns insider mary Kay cabot who joins me to talk about uh, more things free agency, grading how the Browns did versus the Bengals and other teams in the AFC North, picking up where Andrew and I left off. MKC, as I like to call you, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. It's been busy, busy, busy here in Cleveland. My goodness, you know, you can barely jump in the shower without something happening. I did jump in the shower. <laughs> yeah, I jumped in the shower yesterday for a minute. And I think they re-signed Anthony Walker Jr. in that in that moment. So, I mean, you just really can't take your eyes off the ball right now. 
That's so funny because last week, and even though this was late at night, I had just taken a shower after, right before the Orlando Brown signing dropped. So that was, yeah, you're not lying, actually. God, that was actually a scary good example. But yeah, no, I mean, you've been doing great. You've been breaking a lot of amazing stories on the Browns uh, for Cleveland.com because there's not many people, if any at all, who have the the insider insight i should say that you have so uh, your your work is always greatly appreciated but of course you have such an insight to where you know you've been all over the browns who they've kept who who's left the team and who they've brought in from the outside and you know obviously if you look at the list uh, they lost Taven Bryan they lost Jacoby Brissett Greedy Williams they released John Johnson uh but they did keep Ethan Pochich uh Sione Takitaki and then they bring in Juan Thornhill who i thought was a great piece uh Dalvin Thompson I know I'm going to say this guy's name wrong, Ogbonia Okoronkwo. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Okoronkwo. That's good. Yep. Okoronkwo, yeah. And then, of course, I mean, not even a day ago, they trade for Elijah Moore from New York. Uh, mm-hmm. And with the Bengals, you know, they haven't made as many external signings other than, you know, like I mentioned, Orlando Brown. You get Nick Scott from Los Angeles. You get Cordy Ford from Arizona. But you also lose Von Bell, Jesse Bates, Hayden Hurst, three of your best players who were starters last year even though you bring back Jermaine Pratt, which I think surprised a lot of people, just from the Bengals-Browns comparison standpoint, where do you feel like the Browns have done well in free agency, and how do you think that matches up to how the Bengals have done in free agency? You know, I actually think that uh, the Browns have, have done the better job right now. They added three potential starting defenders in Dalvin Tomlinson, Ogbo, or Obo. Okoronkwo and safety Juan Thornhill. So those are three guys that are uh, probably going to come in here and start. And then, as you mentioned, they re-signed Sione Takitaki. They re-signed Anthony Walker Jr. That's right. They re-signed A.J. Green, their cornerback. Um, So they have, uh, you know, they really have bolstered their defense. And then they added, as free agents, uh, two other defensive linemen in uh, Tristan Hill and Maurice Hurst. So you've got uh, two defensive tackles for depth there as well. So, you know, I think that they, you know, they just really haven't let up. And uh, the Elijah Moore trade I thought was huge. And I really think the Browns have knocked it out of the park in this free agency cycle. So where do you think they have the advantage over the Bengals? Do you think it's that they've brought in more external guys and re-signed more in-house guys? Or do you think it's the depth of quality that guys like Thornhill brings versus maybe like what Nick Scott brings? Because obviously Thornhill's a two-time Super Bowl champion. Scott won a Super Bowl, but he only started one year in the last four years. Like, Where do you think uh, the advantage is specific for the Browns? Well, first of all, I think they've completely overhauled their defense. I, you know, I mean, this, is, this represents to me – a defensive overhaul and that's what they really needed. And, and they, you know, they went ahead and they did the work and they might not even be done yet. I mean, they could, they could possibly add another defender, another someone uh, to give Jim Schwartz, another weapon up front. And then the Elijah Moore trade, it gives them a very missing element on offense, that missing element of speed. And I think, you know, when you factor in that Deshaun Watson is coming back to play a full season this year, and then you give him Elijah Moore and all the other pieces that he already has, and uh, I think they're situated pretty well for the 2023 season. Yeah, I mean, the, the, that is the, the thing I was thinking about is the overhaul because they didn't just bring in all those names that you and I mentioned, but, you know, they also 
bring in Jim Schwartz, who is one of the best in his own right at what he does after they obviously got rid of Joe Woods, which I'm really excited to see how the Browns defense fares next year because they've already been doing pretty well against Joe Burrow. And, you know, even though you lose some guys, like essentially, I think, you know, like you said, they're going to lose your Davian Clowney and a few other guys, you know, you bring in like a Tomlinson, you bring in Thornhill, you bring in Schwartz, who is a Super Bowl champion, you know, when he was with the Eagles a few years ago. So I, I see where you're coming from there. But uh, to kind of branch out of, you know, the state of Ohio, you look at the other two AFC North rivals for each team, the Ravens and the Steelers. I mean, the Ravens really haven't done much. And I mean, the Lamar Jackson stuff is its own conversation. But even beyond Lamar, you lose Ben Powers, you lose Josh Oliver, you cut Calais Campbell to make cap, cap space. You don't even have any wide receivers like Sammy Watkins or Demarcus Robinson resigned. Marcus Peters is a free agent over in Pittsburgh. They lose two of their best linebackers, Devin Butch, Robert Spillane, lose Cam Sutton. Even though they re-inside Larry Ogunjobi, who you're obviously familiar with, um, and I am as well, ironically. But I think where the Steelers have the slight edge over the Ravens is they brought in guys that the Ravens haven't, like they bring in Patrick Peterson, who was a future Hall of Famer, uh, Isaac Samulo from the Eagles, who were just in the Super Bowl, Cole Holcomb. You know, they, they brought in some pretty good guys uh, for some reinforcements. But in terms of Pittsburgh and Baltimore, where do you feel like the Browns have done well or could do better compared to those two? Well, once again, you know, I think the Browns have basically, you know, won this free agency cycle, but they kind of had to in a way because they don't have a first round pick and now they don't even have a second round pick. So their first pick is number 74 in the third round. Uh, whereas these other teams will have an opportunity to pick up starters in their first and second rounds of the draft. And I think that's key. And these are teams that traditionally draft really, really well. And, you know, every time you turn around, the, uh, you know, the Steelers and the Ravens are adding another defensive guy in the draft that comes in and lights it up for them. So I think that that's significant. They kind of had to win the offseason because they don't have those picks. Um, but so, yeah, in terms of the, the Ravens, you know, it, it's just weird to look at what's going on over there with, with Lamar Jackson and how's that all going to work out and Rashad Bateman being so unhappy about everything. I, they don't seem... Uh, like they have it all together right now. Now, maybe they'll pull it together because they always seem to do that somehow. Uh, but, you know, they seem to be in, a, in quite a state of flux. And I think the Steelers are still in somewhat of a state of flux because of their young quarterback situation. But, uh, you know, they always add good players in the draft. And, uh, and so you can never count them out. But I would just say that I, I think the Browns have had the strongest – off-season cycle so far. You're, so you're saying, you know, compared to the Bengals, the Ravens, and the Steelers, like you'd put the Browns at number one, like no doubt. No doubt right now, right. Where would you rank the Bengals in regards to the AFC North? Like Andrew and I were debating this earlier before you joined. Where would you rank the other three teams in the AFC North below Cleveland? You know what? That's hard to say. I mean, I probably would it, – it, it's kind of a toss up a little bit between the Steelers and the Bengals right now. I mean, I think, you know, Orlando Brown is a really great pickup, as you mentioned, Nick Scott. Um, but, you know, Patrick Peterson should really help them. Um, you know, they got Larry Ogunjobi back. I don't know. It's hard to say. It's a tough one. That's, that's a good point. 
Yeah, I, you know, I don't think – I think they're kind of tied, actually. Well, obviously, as you saw, Adam Schefter reported uh, not too long ago before we taped this podcast that of the three teams that Ezekiel Elliott is interested in, uh, the Bengals are one of those teams. So who knows? They bring him in to replace uh, Samaj J.P. Ryan, or they bring him in and cut Joe Mixon altogether. Who knows? But um, do you think maybe there's just like one more signing the Bengals could make to sort of push them over the hump of where they're kind of split with the Steelers right now? Yeah, maybe. I just feel like losing Von Bell, Jesse Bates, and Hayden Hurst. I mean, th- those are names are, that are so synonymous with the Bengals. It's hard for me to imagine uh, them maintaining uh, their level of excellence without any of those guys. But I guess they must have a plan. Uh, but I suppose Zeke could, could probably push them over the top, over the Steelers, in the event that they get him. Very well said. Mary Kay Cabot, Browns insider. Never enough time. Really good insights in such a short amount of time. Mary Kay Cabot, MKC as I like to call her. Appreciate you joining me on. I'm sure we'll be hearing from you very soon uh, with a draft coming up in really just over a month, which is crazy. It really is. My goodness. We are hurtling towards uh, towards the draft, but uh, that should be fun. I'll, I won't be very busy in the early part, but uh, but it'll get picked up soon. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I look forward to seeing everything else that you do. And I appreciate all you do, uh, Mary Kay. Thank you for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Likewise. Don't go away. We'll be right back on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So, Andrew, Mary Kay Cabot's grades were almost exactly spot on with what you and I had. And, like, she echoed the same points of the Bengals' losses are a bigger hit than the Browns' losses. And, you know, she really emphasized – uh, you know, what the Browns did to revamp their defense from bringing in Jim Schwartz to bringing in all the guys that they brought in, even negating losses like, you know, releasing John Johnson and, you know, Greedy Williams going to Philadelphia and, you know, losing Taven Bryan. But um, there's one name that, I, you know, I tossed this to her, you know, and I want to toss it to you because you have some opinions on this and this is something that people are talking about now. But Ezekiel Elliott, according to Adam Schefter, has narrowed down his final three options of teams he wants to play for, and the Bengals are, yes, in the mix of those three teams. Um, you've said before, I think, uh, not just on this podcast, but you've written about this, you don't see Zeke and the Bengals making sense as a fit. Well, do you stand by that? Do you think there's a chance, and why or why not do you think this would be a good move if it goes through? No, I, I don't think it makes sense. You know, you've got a running back who's uh, going to be 28 years old, in July, uh, you're talking about a guy who has, you know, almost 1,900 NFL carries in the regular season. Um, I, y- y- he's not obviously in the prime of his career, I would say, at this point. I think that's fair. Um, it, Joe Mixon's 27 as well. You know, you'd be kind of getting two running backs near near 30, which, again, if you're a running back, it's, it's not exactly uh, the, the age you want to be nearing, which is crazy to say. Um, you know, that you can, you know, you talk about Joe Burrow, ah, you know, Joe Burrow's going to be in Cincinnati for a really long time and this and that and the other, and oh my God, and this and that he's 26. And if he were running back, we'd be like, well, you're kind of nearing the end here. Um, you know, it's, it's just a unique conversation and it's a different type of world when you're talking about running backs. Um, you know, so I, I think, you can obviously get some short yardage and some pass blocking ability out of, out of Zeke uh, that kind of fills the role from what Samaje left, which, you know, again, I think that that would fit, but again, 
you, you, you'd be doing, you know, uh, you, I, I think you'd be doing a disservice to the rest of the roster because Joe Mixon's making, you know, all, almost $13 million against the cap, 12.7, um, 12.79 million against the cap in 2023. Uh, Whatever Zeke would make, you would have to assume it would be a couple million dollars, you know, so Zeke makes a couple, even if it's a one year deal, you know, Zeke makes a couple million dollars, you know, Travion Williams makes a million dollars. Let's say he's the third running back. You're committing almost $20 million to three players at your running back position. Yeah, I'm not sure, especially two of them that are, you know, a little bit older. I'm not sure that that's really the way to go about this. Um, So I, I that it would make sense from, you know, from kind of a roster management standpoint. I don't think it would make sense from an on-field standpoint. I've kind of said that I think the Bengals need kind of a home run threat in the backfield. You need somebody that can cake at the distance. Um, and, and again, if you were to, if you were to cut Mixon, you know, w- would you be willing to swallow that dead money for Mixon, which is five and a half million dollars. If he's a, if he's a pre June first cut. Now, if he's a post June first cut, um, you know, your cap savings goes up over $10 million and uh, you know, your dead money goes just under three. So, you know, maybe you can designate him as a post June first cut and, and you can try to save a little bit there, but I just don't know if you're going to be in a better position, even if you cut Mixon with Zeke Travion and then needing a rookie in the draft. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I'm glad you mentioned the specifics on Samaje because like when you look at the way the Bengals offense is set up, like Samaje Piran would, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott would be like what Samaje P. Ryan was to that offense last year. And I've seen some people saying, oh, well, what if they play together? And I'm like, no chance. Like Joe Mixon and Ezekiel Elliott, like, I don't know what world you're coming from, but you can't have one without the other. So if you bring in Zeke, bye-bye Joe. If you're keeping Joe, bye-bye Zeke. Like there is no realistic possibility these two plays together unless you want to live in some utopic fantasy and, and even then like let's say somehow i'm wrong and i'm being just cold-hearted and you you have both those guys together is that is not worth it and that's going to be one of those decisions where like the Bengals are going to look back and say why did we do that um look as far as entertaining him though you know as far as like you know the idea of maybe bringing him in I think it's admirable. I think it just shows like the Bengals really are just like so quiet and like working in the dark. Not like working like Aaron Rodgers in the dark, but working in the dark and who knows. Maybe like because obviously, you know, he played with Joe Burrow in his last year at Ohio State. Not literally, but, you know, they were on the roster together. Burrow was still a backup at the time, you know, and they had Dwayne Haskins and JT Barrett. But like, you know, they were on the same team together. Like they understand each other's styles. And I'm sure Zeke would love to play for a guy like Joe Burrow. Maybe that's a factor into it. I don't know. You know, this is just based on what Adam Schefter reported, but I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, Joe Burrow and, you know, the Bengals offense had something to do with it because like Hayden Hurst said, like Ted Karras said, like Alex Kappa said, like so many guys have said, who wouldn't want to play an offense like that? Maybe Zeke is saying the same thing. Um, But the question is, as much as he might want to be there, is it the right fit? I am with you. I don't think it'd be the best option. I think you have so many running backs in this draft um, you can't go wrong with any of them, whether you keep Joe Mixon or not. And again, I think if there's no Zeke, then that only confirms that Joe Mixon's going to be a Bengal next year. Look, bring in Joe for at least one more year. See what you get out of him and get like a Jameer Gibbs. Even if you can't get B. John Robinson, because, you know, we'll talk more about this when we do our mock drafts. But if you can't get him, you got Jameer Gibbs. You got Zach Charbonnet. Like, I know these names are repetitive at this point, but it just goes to show, like, you can get one of those guys for way cheaper 
develop them longer term. Whereas with Zeke, it's going to be more expensive. You don't know if it's going to work and you don't know how long it's going to work. There's too many question marks, kind of like you alluded to, to where, yeah, I'm with you. I, I just don't think it would be a good fit, but we'll see. Maybe they bring him in on like a short-term deal. Maybe it doesn't happen at all. Who knows? But to kind of wrap up, um, I wanted to kind of make you the star of the show here. Although I don't know if you want to call this a show per se, but UC Pro Day uh, took place at the Bengals practice facility in downtown Cincinnati. Um, of course, some of the names that we've talked about from UC, you know, Ivan Pace, Josh Weil, uh, Tyler Scott. Those are some guys that showed out. I think the name I want to focus on here is uh, Josh Wild because, you know, he's a tight end. The Bengals need a tight end. He's one of those projected mid-round tight ends. Um, how did he look today? And, you know, what are some impressions you got from watching him at uh, Pro Day today, Andrew? Yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of hard to get a, uh, you know, a good read on, on some of these guys because, you know, just to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit, the way Pro Days work, um, you know, you show up to whatever field house. It was at the Bengals field house today, uh, their indoor facility, basically. So, you know, you, you show up there. It's not, you know, like you see on TV. They're not announcing 40 times. Uh, they're not announcing three cone and, and everything like that. They're, it's 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 pretty quiet. There's a bunch of scouts just you know diligently taking notes. Um, you know, parents are watching, friends are watching. Um, you know, agents are there. It, it's a pretty quiet atmosphere. Uh, so you know, I say this kind of without knowing what what he ran at. Um, you know, Josh Wiley. He 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 talked about uh, kind of playing a little bit higher uh, in, in his weight. You know, he, he, I think he said he played at the senior bowl at 260. Uh, today he, he, mm-hmm. was in, I believe that he said 249. So wow, you, you're talking a about a guy cut. who he wants to play. You know, he, he said one of the questions about him was, you know, can he play a little bit bigger? Uh, you know, cause he is six foot six. You know, they, they he said, you know, teams kind of want to view him uh, and want to see him hold that weight a little bit longer. So, you know, I, I think that. You, you can kind of look at look at him and see him as, as kind of a nice depth piece in the draft. Uh, you know, he's from Cincinnati. He went to the University of Cincinnati. Uh, it'd, be a, it'd be a cool story for him if he were to uh, if he were to be able to, you know, get drafted by the Bengals. You know, again, they do need a tight end. Um, you know, I, just, I think he wouldn't. I mean, obviously, if you're going to draft him, you need a starting tight end still. You know, he's not that Michael Mayer guy where you draft and you say, all right, he's our number one tight end. He's not a Darnell Washington, a Dalton Kincaid. You know, some of those guys where you look at and you say, all right, he's our number one. He's a mid-round, later-round guy. Um, you know, but if, if if the Bengals kind of make that move, I think, you know, you can you can kind of pencil him in as the team's third tight end and, uh, you know, be a, be a cool story. Yeah, that's that's a good one. You know, Ivan Pace, I think anyone who gets him is going to be lucky. It sounds like from all accounts he did pretty well. But, you know, now that they did bring back Jermaine Pratt, I mean, who knows, maybe the Bengals get a linebacker like late, late in the draft. But, I mean, by that point, Ivan Pace is going to be well off the board. I, I don't even really think they're going to worry about the linebacker spot this year because, I mean, you got Logan Wilson and Akeem Davis gathered Marcus Bailey for another year. Like, you know, Pratt's not going away. Who knows, if you lose one of those two guys next year, yeah, I think you almost have to prioritize that position a little bit. But I think for now, uh, they're good at linebackers. So, yeah, I just, you know, wanted your quick takes and thoughts on that um, because, you know, it's right down the road. We got to make mention of it. And I do think he's an interesting tight end. He talked at the combine, kind of like you mentioned a while back when we did our tight end combine podcast. So that's a name to watch, especially if the Bengals maybe go for a tight end later in the draft, if they don't want to focus on that early on, like especially if, you know, Mayer's not on the board or Darnell Washington. So 
options, options. Like uh, Jack Harlow says, I got options. By the way, I was about to say, I'm actually from uh, the same state as Jack Harlow. Fun fact. Are you a Jack Harlow guy, Andrew? Uh, Not really. No. Not I'm not really into music really. all that much, but like, he's, he's not bad. He's not bad. I actually have some friends that went to high school with him, so small world. But I, I wanted to wrap with one last thing, and it has nothing to do with anything we just talked about. So uh, for those who don't know, uh, today is the first official day of Ramadan. Uh, so Ramadan, Mubarak, and Karim to all our Muslim listeners, if we have any. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, it's a month where uh, every day for 29 or 30 days from sunrise to sunset, uh, Muslims all across the world abstain from food uh, and water and other you know, things that you put into your body, like cigarettes, for example, uh, with the intention of drawing near to God. Uh, so it is a very special month. Uh, it's a challenging one. Haven't had any food all day, so we're we're going strong on this podcast with no food or water. But um, that's the thing people don't realize is we don't just not eat food, we don't drink water. Uh, so unlike Lent, where you don't eat for a certain amount of time, but you can drink water, uh, we don't do anything. So Andrew, I want to ask you this. What is the longest you personally have gone without having had a combination of not just food, but food and water together? Oh, wow. I don't know. Uh, how, how long do you think you could go without food and water if, if you had to guess? Uh, I don't know. Uh, hours, <laughs> 12 hours, I guess. I don't know. Uh, well, I think so. That's a long. good answer. Well, I mean, 1213 is a good answer because like in Cincinnati, sunrise today was 625 ish. Sunset is 7.50, so you're talking like 13 and a half hours. Um, people feel like – like they hear that and they say, oh, how do you do that? And I'm like, it's not easy. Like honestly, I I know I don't sound like I'm fasting, but physically it is a lot, especially once you get towards the end. But I don't know. I mean I've been doing it since I was seven years old. So once you do it enough and you, you know the purpose behind it, it's kind of like if you want to draw a connection to like football. I mean these guys are like – pushing pads and like, you know, going against big bodies, like every day in practice, every week during games. I mean, it's just kind of like your why it's like your, your why is what motivates you. So I don't know. It's hard to explain to someone who's never done it, but I was going to say, you should try sometime. And if not, I don't blame you because it's not easy. <laughs> Cause yeah, um, not having food and water for 13 hours is tough, but we're making it work, Andrew. We're making it work. Am I right? Something like that. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's going to be a long month, but I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to uh, many more episodes on this podcast, including tomorrow when Andrew and I wrap up the week with uh, kind of our biggest questions heading into next week. Uh, what those questions are, what they mean, and how the Bengals might answer those moving forward. But once again, for myself and Andrew, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Stay safe out there, and especially if you're fasting like me, I should say, and enjoy your Thursday. Until then, take care.